Short game-wise, yes, I can. Long game-wise, no. No, I have not. He's talking the long game. They played the long game. The long game. They gotta play the long game. They played the long game. They're experienced and they played the long game. game is back hey everybody thanks for listening to another episode of the long game pod casey uh is in an undisclosed location um in a bunker somewhere in a hotel this is the commitment to the pod is casey is traveling with his family and he packed this shirt mike this going did this did the microphone in the travel in the travel bag did you check it i'd show you the travel case but it's propping up my laptop right now but yeah i got the whole Love we got that. through customs or not customs to go to Florida, but <laughs> I got through through wherever the, wherever the last year I, I, we came down to Florida. I, I, um, not a big deal, not to brag, but had some protein powder in my bag and they called the bomb sniffing dogs. Not and I almost missed, like I, I had told my wife, like, just go take our daughter, go leave me behind <laughs> this time, less bomb sniffing dogs for, uh, the microphone, but we got here. Awesome. Awesome. And did you play a little, go- did you, do you got one round to golf in? I got one round of golf in uh, yesterday. I'm going to try to play again in a few days. I had a lesson uh, scheduled for a few days ago, but had to call it off because I threw up my back loading uh, luggage into the rental car, which is the oldest I've ever felt in my life. Which <laughs> type of a bag? piece was of it... luggage into into a minivan, which was about rock bottom in my life. Was it one of those like throw out your back and like instantly everything seizes up and you just like are in the most pain ever? Yeah, I've been building for a little bit. I, I probably get something similar to this once a year. Um, and it was building. And then the night before Christmas, wrapping presents, I really felt a go hunched over. And then Christmas Day was really bad. I was crawling around my 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 dad's house and then uh, got a little better and then just really re-aggravated it on, on Friday. So this guy I took um, was supposed to take a lesson from, we came down last year too, was supposed to take a lesson from, got COVID. So now this guy thinks I'm just like, stringing him along for lessons that are never going to happen. But I'm oh, going to try to circle back to You were supposed to, to get a lesson from him last year and he had COVID? No, I got COVID. Oh, we came down here and got COVID. And so I'm 0 for 2 trying to get lessons from this guy. But uh, And it was evident I hadn't had any lessons when I played yesterday because it was not pretty. I but, saw the card though. He's a nice little birdie on 16, part 3, to keep you coming back for more. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, it was bad. Did you post it? There was it? a couple of four, four posts. Did you post Oh yeah, I, po- I post every score. If you today. play, you post. You have to. That's what the that's what the USGA wants. If you play, you post. Also, I did see a big update from the USGA, which is you can now you can now post nine hole score like nine hole scores on its own. Which I is, saw that. It would seem silly, but that's actually huge because normally you post a nine hole score, you got to wait for it to be combined. Nonsense. It's a great well, idea. it's funny that they had for like years this campaign of like just play nine, just play nine, just play nine. <laughs> but it doesn't. It, count. it doesn't. It doesn't count. Get the kids involved. Just play nine. It doesn't count. <laughs> like well. How about we make it count? So luckily they fixed that in their software. All right. But. So it's the first week of the PGA Tour season, but a weird week for us because we got travel, we got kids. Uh, we we didn't we, we didn't get an episode in in time to do picks for the century, but I'm excited to watch a little golf. But we got a little surprise bonus episode and um, we just spent an hour talking to Kyle Porter. Kyle's a golf writer for CBS. He writes this book called A Normal Sport, which Casey has printed out and, and read on the plane and to prep for the pod. What what was your reaction to the conversation with Kyle? Great guy. Uh, really interesting story. Found his way to covering golf. Pretty unconventional way, I'd say. Um, 
but yeah, it was a great conversation. He's great insight on covering the tour. Very different way than a lot of, I would say, the traditional old guard golf media covers it. Um, and if you don't know Kyle, if you don't think you know who Kyle is you, and you follow golf, you know who Kyle is because you've definitely seen his his Twitter uh, profile pop up on your feed. So yeah, it great was, conversation. It was awesome. I'm, it like re-energized me for the long game pod because we just were thinking about like what types of content we want to create, the stuff that we want to talk about. I messaged Casey a couple weeks ago. I'm like, hey, you know the guy Kyle Porter? He's like, yeah, he's like one of my favorite golf writers. I'm like, he follows me on Twitter. And I was like, so I just DM'd him one day, or, or he happened to DM me one day and was like, hey, can I send you a copy of my book? And I was like, what is, ha- what is happening right now? And and so he in I went back in an email. I replied to his email. I was like, just going to shoot my shot here. My friend and I have this podcast. Will you come on it? And he was like, yes. And I was like, wait, for real? <laughs> and it was awesome. It was awesome. Well, he, he must have checked the stats and saw that we were up to the number 49 golf podcast in the united states yeah he told his wife he's like honey he's like honey i i need it uh like you gotta take the kids today because i gotta i gotta be in the long game pod they're huge in sweden and this is a big audience for me to sell copies of the book <laughs> no good conversation though i really enjoyed and in he he wants to come back quarterly to do kind of a state of the sport kind of thing so that'd be really fun yeah so enjoy this conversation with kyle we talk about his path as a golf writer how he watches golf how he follows golf um a little bit about a little insight into somebody that's in the golf world that that I think will be a really enjoyable conversation. We talked a little bit about um, the upcoming golf season, but I think it'd be awesome to have him on in a couple months. Uh, and hey, let us know if you like this episode. Uh, send us a note, longgamepod at gmail.com. Let us know, should we have more guests? You just want to hear Casey and I keep riffing and ranting. Uh, I had an awesome time talking to Kyle. I'd love to get more guests on, so feel free to you know, holler, holler at us, send us some feedback in uh <laughs> Casey sent me a message. We got a listener, listener live on the ground at the Davis at the DL three grill, which is which made my week fantastic. So absolutely long game. Shout out run. Mark who who went to uh, the DL three grill All right. over the holidays. Sent us another great review. Case okay, so get some get some dead bugs in, get some bird dogs in, get get that mobility in the back, and we need to get you ready. All right, you got it. Well, let's see if I make it to this lesson in a few days, but. <laughs> Okay. Hopefully I'll have more to share or I'll be doing this uh, vertically or horizontally. Sorry for my bet. All right. Here's our interview with Kyle Porter. All the guys with hair are fixing their hair. This is brutal. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Long Game Podcast. I'm Dave Gerhardt. This is my co-host, Casey Ford. Uh, Casey, where are you right now? Are you on location somewhere? An undisclosed bunker in a hotel somewhere? Yeah, this is called the Situation Room. It was a situation trying to find a conference room in this hotel. It came down to the last minute, but we got one. So I, it right. looks like a hostage video where there's no like nothing Wait. that can give away my location in the background. Where are your right? Where are your children right now? I think they're in the room screaming. Which is, <laughs> I'm on vacation from my vacation. I love that. I love that. And uh, we're pumped because it's finally 2024. We started this golf podcast in the fall, which is like the worst time because there's plenty of news, but we're not trying to be a news show. And so we're like here cover, like talking about like the Grant Thornton and you know what the PNC. And we're excited. There's, there's actual golf. But today, we have an actual golf person, a golf talent, an industry media mind. Kyle Porter is here with us. Uh, Kyle's one of my favorite golf resources when I when I, t- I texted Casey, I was like, I, 
you know, this guy Kyle Porter follows me on Twitter. I'm not sure why. And then he sent me, <laughs> he sent me a copy of his book. And I'm like, you know what? I usually don't ever do this, but I'm going to shoot my shot. And I asked him to come on the podcast and he was kind enough to come on. So Kyle's a golf writer. He writes for CBS Sports. He just published the latest edition of his book called Normal Sport 3. You've probably seen him on golf Twitter if you're in that world. Kyle Porter, welcome to the Long Game Podcast. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm sorry, I'm I'm not in the Situation Room. I'm in my uh, my back office, but I am very uh, sweaty and red faced because I just got done with a run trying to fight Dad Bod. I'm right there with you, Dave. Case, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of my that's my situation right now. It's it's not pretty. Casey and I were just texting about running last night because he's like, we couldn't be more opposite. I'm like, yeah, well, like you know, you go for a run without a headphones. He's like, no, you run and I don't. <laughs> yeah. Headphones are just a <laughs> Completely. But don't thing. you? Yeah. Are you sure that's not a fake background? Kyle looks like something that maybe you uploaded to make it look like <laughs> no, you're somewhere no. else. No, it's not. It looks it's, too it's, clean. I I spent too much money creating this background. I wish it was a fake background. But uh, wait, who? Which of y'all doesn't go? For, doesn't wear headphones? Uh, I don't. Dave runs it's a without new, headphones. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. I'm happy to talk about this with you. Well, what what's the like? Well, yeah, I I would love to hear more. Like, what's the reason? <laughs> so. Great. I don't feel as crazy anymore. All right, I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not even like a heart. Like, how much? How? What did you just run today? How much did you run? Uh, three miles. Perfect. That's. I. I ran three miles this morning. I. I. I started to run a lot more. I was going to train for like a marathon. I just it got too much in the eight, nine, ten. I didn't feel good. I wanted. I get this nice buzz from a run, and I realize like three to six miles is like is perfect. It sets me up for the day. It changes my mood. You know, makes me feel great. Um. And I would, I would be listening to podcasts. I would, you know, listen to podcasts or music, but then, um, somebody was like somebody that I, a good friend of mine was like, just try running with no headphones. I'm like, well, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> and once you get into the run, it's, it's amazing. I just, it, it gives me, if I do it in the morning before my day, it, it gives me time to just like, it's almost like a form of med- meditation. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to sell you on it. Um, are I you just, s- are, are you thinking about different ideas for for like business business um, or yeah like I, I might be grump like i could be i might be like grumpy about something like with my family or my business or or i, I don't necessarily go out for a run with an intention of like i'm gonna solve this problem but i found that like if i go without listening to a podcast or music even it forces me it's almost i don't know if you've ever tried meditation at all but it almost forces my me to just kind of like just be be there and I'm just running and it's, it sucks for the first five to 10 minutes and a couple of times I do it, but now I found myself looking forward to it and I just get out there and I like, I don't know, I'm rethinking about my run probably took me 30, 30 minutes to run those three miles this morning, just nice and slow and easy. And I, I don't know what I thought about. It. I don't know what happened, but I, I came back and it was almost like I blacked out and it didn't happen. So I think you okay, should try so, it. So maybe it, it speeds it up a little bit even. It speeds like it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. There's something about like. I'd be listening to like, you know, No Laying Up or Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan or something like that. I, I, I need, I just need some space guys. I don't want, I don't yeah. need them, those guys jamming in my ears the whole time. And I found the, it's become a nice little break in the, in the day for me. The thing that, that speeds it up for me is I've got a couple of guys that, uh, we usually run together. They're out of town today. So I did it on my own and we usually run at a slow enough pace that we can kind of chat throughout. And that for me is like, oh, we just ran six miles like that went by incredibly fast. Uh, have, you all, have you always been a runner? Uh, no, I grew up playing 
playing baseball, so we did more like shorter stuff. Uh, but you know, like dad bod. I got. I've got four kids, so I've got to. I've got to do something yeah. to. Uh, and and honestly, like the thing for me over the last, really, it started probably. I kind of got into it a little bit before COVID, and then into COVID, I was running with a group of guys, and we would run on the streets of, of where I live, and it was it was apocalyptic. It was like it was like there's like did the you know like this is it's we haven't seen a human in six days you know right. it's, it's crazy right um and so it really i loved the sort of communal part of it um but i also loved what, something that you said which is it just changes my outlook my mood on the day it gives me a i think there's something to like suffering a little bit first thing in the morning and then everything else seems just a little bit I don't know about easier, but just more manageable throughout the day. That's how I am. I I, I live a very soft life. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and so that's the only that it makes me feel like I'm a I'm a valuable member of society. Like I could do so like if if the zombies came, like I'd be okay. I could I could I could out outrun them. And then the, um, Casey's gonna just like jump out of the out of the building. I was just gonna outrun. say this running conversation might as well be in Spanish to me. <laughs> You don't know Spanish. Um, you're, you're more the, of a Pilates guy, or what? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. De- I'm a headphones on the couch kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> but the, 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 the reason I got the, the running thing for me, Kyle, was like, um, I like the. I used to like go to CrossFit and go to the gym, and it just became too. You, you have four kids, which is like you deserve it. You deserve a trophy or something. Something I have two. Casey has two, and just the day shrinks so quickly. And the thing that I loved about running was like, it's kind of like you can take it anywhere. You're you're traveling for work. You're visiting family wherever you are. Like if you can just sneak out for 30, 40 minutes, you know that like your mood is going to be changed for for the rest of the day. And that's kind of the thing that that flipped it for me. Did you see? There's this clip. There was this clip Casey and I shared it last week, but I I forget who posted. But it was like Tiger was like, I used to run. I used to wake up. I used to run four miles. I'd uh, I'd come home. I'd have breakfast. I'd lift. I'd go hit balls. I'd play eighteen. I'd go play another eighteen. Then I'd go play basketball. Then I'd go play tennis. Whatever. And then John Daly, you know, then they showed John Daly, and he's like, he did his thing. But like, do you actually believe that? Is it as some a guy who ran a guy who ran three miles this morning? Like, do you believe Tiger was walk was playing eighteen holes? running eight miles in a day lifting i guess that's why he got hurt like is is any of that hyperbole no i think i think that was part of his tiger is is wired very differently he, he's when when people talk about <clears throat> people talk about geniuses all the time right and how they're they're wired like so differently and i was listening to somebody it might have been morgan housel who wrote um psychology of money and he was talking about how like oh you think you think like you're surprised that Elon Musk, who took on NASA when he was like 28, is popping off on Twitter. Like, why? Are, why are you surprised? Like, he's he's different than like at all these other humans. And I think, I think Tiger is. I think Tiger's a genius. Like, I legitimately think that. And I think that he is just wired so so differently. And some of that is nature. Some of it was nurture. And there's probably some hyperbole in there. Like, did he run five miles every single day? Probably not. But I do think that he, I think he aspired to be this, like, almost like the Brooks Kepka thing where Brooks is like, oh, I'm an NFL linebacker. It's like, yeah, I've seen NFL linebackers. You're probably not. Uh, I think Tiger kind of was like the pre-Brooks. Like, he aspired to that. 
And that was his way of, um, of sort of trying to make that happen uh, early on as, as a golfer. It's funny because the average male can't even go play golf. And then they have, you're so tired, you have to sit on the couch for the rest of the day. Well, that's the thing is like, I, I don't, I've never played enough golf to where my body gets accustomed to like the swing to where I'm not sore the next day. Like I've never played, like we had a guy's trip a couple of weeks ago and we played, what did we play? Like almost 72 holes in three days. And that's like the most I've ever played in three days. I, I've not played, you know, these guys are playing 36 a day, every day. And I think your body just gets, you, you know how when you haven't lifted in a while and you go lift and you're like, oh my gosh, like that was, I'm so sore that I can't even like go to the bathroom the next yeah, you're, day. You're sore for like four days after. <laughs> yeah, like that's how I am sometimes with golf. And I think once you get into the routine of lifting though, it goes away. And I think that's how those guys are with with the golf swing. It's, so, so, under, it's so underrated the yeah. playing golf multiple days in a row. I, I have just started recently like playing more and I'm in Vermont. It's not like the California amateur golf scene, right? It's, I play some competitive amateur golf. Like I'm a, you know, one handicap, right? There's tournaments that are like two or three days in a row. By that third day, I'm like the last thing that I want to do on planet earth is go play golf right now. And like the fact that these guys have to do this, you know, whatever day you have the pro-am, you have, you, you have, there's a practice round, there's a pro-am, there's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, get on a plane. Like, I think that's this so underrated of people who see golf from the outside world. And they're like, man, this is the softest thing ever. And I think if you actually had to get out there and walk that many days in a row, that mental grind of all those mm -hmm. days in a row, it's, 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 it's insane what that must feel like. I think it's, I think, I think about this a lot. And I think it is this idea of falling in love with the boredom of it. Because when you've done it that much for that long, I mean, think about how many how many golf shots has Phil Mickelson hit in his life? Like thirty million? I, I don't know. I'm just making up numbers. You could probably do the math on it. He probably he's hit knows millions. Yeah, he probably does. He's hit millions and millions of golf shots, and you have to you have to be in. Uh, there's this great quote from Novak Djokovic uh, from a couple years ago. It was a it was an interview, and in, I think it was the Financial Times. I believe it's a newspaper in in London. And he said, I just love hitting the tennis ball. And it's kind of a throwaway quote unless you unless you dig into it and you're like, yeah, that's kind of what it takes to be great at something. Like whatever you, whatever it is, whether it's golf or tennis or, you know, making spreadsheets or doing healthcare deals or whatever it is, you have to, if you want to be great at it, you have to really love that thing. And I mean, to your point, Dave, like there's a lot of guys out on tour that they don't, they don't love it. You know, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to Charles Howell one time and he is somebody that loves it, but he was like, you know, guys don't understand how stressful and not fun tournament golf is. And there's guys out on tour that are just like guys that we know that have regular jobs. They're just doing it because they get paid good money and it's, it'd be like, what else are they going to do? You know? And um, but I think the ones that are truly great, like the Spieths and the uh, Rory's and the Roms, like they truly love hitting the golf ball. And I think that's a pretty, um, it's a, it's a thing that I love studying and thinking about. And it's something that um, a lot of them enjoy talking about as well. I was going to say, there's a clip going around uh, social media right now from a podcast with Doc Rivers, and he's talking about playing with a bunch of people. 
and Tiger had been practicing at the course and they went out, played a whole round, come back, Tiger's still out there. They go have lunch or whatever they had after. It starts pouring rain. They go, look, he's still out there practicing. It was like two weeks before the British or something. So he just wanted to simulate rain. So like, to your point, you got to be, you got to be like a psycho to, to really want to hit balls in the rain, but it's really the love of that and the mundane stuff that, that, you know, makes the difference, I think, from these guys. Well, I think one thing that's interesting, are you doing it out of fear or out of joy? John Rahm had this quote last year during the, during Riviera Genesis week. And he was talking about how he's like, he's like, I don't practice and try to get better and try to win events because I'm scared of not doing it. I do it because I love doing it. And I think, I think for Tiger, I think there is, I was talking to Rory about this one time and he was talking about how Tiger loves figuring out like the really nerdy, like scientific, like what if I shift my, you know, right index finger two millimeters this way? <laughs> what does that do to the ball flight? And I think, I think there's a true, like wired into his DNA joy of doing that. And I think that's not that specific thing is true of all top guys because they're not all crazy like that. But there is a true joy that emanates from most of them from just like hitting the golf ball hundreds of thousands, if not, if not millions of times. Kyle, you think there's anybody that's a top-ish player in the world that's say top, uh, top 100 that is that this is my job business mindset that doesn't love it, but they might be good enough at it and they're making a bunch of money? Or, or is there a cutoff? Like it's, it's not possible to be elite to that level. Or do they all uh, just go no. to live? <laughs> right. I actually, I, I scribbled in my notebook as I'm talking about like that. It's kind of like the perfect case for lit for, for, for the other tour then. Right. Like for sure. Uh, it, it, it definitely is. Um, I think there, there's different levels to it, right? Like I can think of one name that I'll tell you later that has been in the top hundred that basically hates golf and doesn't like if he could make $400,000 or $700,000 a different way, he would go do that. Um, but I think there's, I think there's some guys certainly even in the top 25 or 50 that, you know, like look at Brooks Kepka. Does Brooks Kepka love, love, love golf the way that Rory or Spieth does? Probably not. But I, but I definitely think he loves it more than the guy that has been in the top hundred that um, that hates it. You know, so I think there's definitely there's guys in the top hundred that don't like it as much as some of the guys in the top ten. I think where it, I think where the cutoff is, is it's very, very difficult to get inside the top ten in the world. Um, if you don't love it, like Victor Hovland loves golf, like he goes and plays these crazy courses in Scandinavia in like his off months because he loves golf. Like the guys that are, it, it's <laughs> when you're that talented and you love it that much, it's very difficult. Even if you have all the talent in the world to break into that top 10, which is where all those guys are. If you don't also love it. All right. That's why you see Hovland you know, with, with his buddies in jeans playing on the track, man, on a Friday night, you know, yes. having a beer, doing whatever, because it's like, well, that's, that's what he does. That's, that's what, yeah. what else am I going to do? I'm going to play golf. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was gonna say too, some... like, it makes the ROM decision so much more confounding to me too, because he seems like such a historian and guy that really loves the game, talks yes. about it so much. So obviously money talks, but that's, you know, a very confusing move from my perspective. 
So I agree with you. And I think that that was, you know, you could draw this pretty distinct line before pre-ROM of like, okay, the villains and the not villains. And, and maybe even more so like the guys who truly love it and the guys who kind of just wanted to take a payday. And ROM is a very different thing. And I think a couple of things happened. One, obviously June 6th and the, the sort of merger changed the the calculus for for some of those guys and i think that you know what you're saying if you get paid enough you can kind of justify like well we're probably going to come back together anyway so whatever but i think the other thing that didn't get talked about as much is that rom is i think generationally good i think he's i think it's him and rory over the last 10 years you could throw dj in there I don't know how maybe Spieth or JT. We'll see how those those guys kind of play out. But Rom is is his trajectory is to to be one of the, I think, twenty five best players of all time, made probably better. And I don't think he ever felt like he was treated like that uh, on the PGA Tour and in sort of the circles that he ran in. It was always Rory, 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 and Rory deserves a lot of that. Um, but he got almost too much of it and i think rom looked at that and was like screw this like i i don't i don't, I don't want to be part of this jt rory's spieth tiger thing and i don't think that's anything that i don't think those guys ostracized him i don't think they were i think it was more so remember when tebow was a thing and people just hated tebow because he got so much attention and you're like well that's not really tebow's fault like he's just kind of doing his thing that's how i, I think rom started to feel like that about rory and jt and some of these other guys and i I don't know. I don't think that's the reason he left to go to live, but I definitely think it sort of played into the 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 decision that he made, um, and it it really maybe it it was the thing that pushed eventually pushed him over the edge. And do do you see that? Do you find that, or do you think that Rory felt that as well? Yes, kind of. And you think that's why he's taking the step back from kind of so being so outspoken in players' council. He definitely felt it. There was a moment at the Ryder Cup. I was in the press conference afterwards, and Rory got like 10 questions before Rom got his first question. And there's this moment where Rom gets a question, and Rory jumps in and said, I mean, he's only the best player in the world. And he was he was trying to, I think, he was trying to let Rom know, hey, I see you. I hear your frustration. I am aware of like your annoyance with all this, and I want you to know that about me. Um, before we go forward. So I, I definitely think he was he was aware of kind of just that sort of undercurrent that, that's been going on for a while. Kyle, has all of this stuff, like you, how long have you been covering golf now? A decade? <laughs> yeah, so my first year covering the PGA Tour for CBS was in uh, 2012. So this is, what, 11 years now? And And before that, you weren't, you were you were into golf. You you played golf, enjoyed the game, but you weren't like focused on the the whole thing, right? Yeah, I grew up. I grew up playing baseball. Uh, played baseball in high school and college, and you know during that time, my um my actually I haven't shared this story a ton, but my mom was an elite amateur player. Like she played in some uh, U.S. amateurs back in the. Uh, whenever that was 70s and, and 80s, I guess, uh, when when she was kind of kind of growing up, coming up. And uh, she was a really good amateur player. So our family was always had this sort of tie to golf. Um, we didn't play all the time. She didn't really play once she became a mom and and was 
you know, dealing with, with, uh, with all the family stuff, but we always had, our family always had this sort of tie to golf, but I grew up playing baseball. That was kind of my thing that I did played in college. Where did you go to college? Uh, I, I started at uh, Trinity University in San Antonio, which is a, a small Division three, And then I ended up at Oklahoma State uh, and walked on. Uh, hold on. I've, can we pause for a second? I've got, yeah, yeah. I've got a yard guy here. I need to tell him to go away. <laughs> You're good. You're good. Sorry. You're good. Um, good. Where, should I, where should I jump back in? You, so you, you ended up walking on at Oklahoma right. State? Walking on as a baseball player at what Oklahoma position? State. What position? Uh, I pitched at Oklahoma State. I wasn't good. I was probably the worst player on the team. Got cut and just ended up going to school there. And uh, I'm 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 asking because I I went to I walked on at to play baseball to pitch at a small D one school called Wagner College in Staten Island, New York. Small okay. little D one school. Yeah, and um, it was amazing. I had an amazing time. I met an amazing group of people. It was fun. I'm of the belief that like you could have pretty much gone to college anywhere and you would have found a group of people and had fun and it's college. But one of my biggest regrets was I was, I didn't play at all. I sat on the bench. I still had to work out. I still had to run. I still had to do all the nonsense. Like if I could give a lesson to my kids, it would be like, doesn't matter what school you if go to the place where you can play. And I should have gone to like a small you know, D3 school or, or whatever in, in, in my area where I could have been like a everyday player and I would have gotten so much more of that. But well, that, I, I totally agree. And that was what was interesting is my freshman year at, at Trinity University, I, I played some, I didn't, uh, I didn't play a ton, but I played some and then I went to Oklahoma State and I was just, you know, very fringy to the team. And I had so much more fun with the smaller, lesser known you know, and and I think that's a life lesson, right? It's like you know the, these these things that you aspire to that are bigger and better, or so called bigger and better. They might not, you might not be as content with them. You might not be as as satisfied with them. And uh, you know, for me, when I got to Oklahoma State, it was like everybody there thought they were a, a, a first round pick, and you're like, I don't think the math right. works on this, guys. Like, right. I don't think that's gonna work out, right? Uh, so anyway, I got cut, uh, after one semester and ended up just going to school there, which was, um, which was a ton of fun. And like you said, found kind of my group of friends, met my wife there and, and all that. So, um, yeah, after, after college, I started, I ended up starting an Oklahoma state website. So it was sort of like the, it was a website covering football and basketball. Um, I got a corporate job. I was kind of bored, didn't, didn't love, um, I just didn't want to be 45 or 50 and, and be at that same job. And so my wife was like, just start something. We're young. I was like 26 at the time. Started the Oklahoma State site, naively thinking like, okay, this, this, this could be my portfolio. This could be my resume to lead to a national writing job. I didn't care if it was in golf or football or tennis or whatever. And it turned out that it did lead to that, which doesn't, doesn't really happen. I just kind of providentially met some of the right people and Shane Bacon, who, um, worked at Fox and then golf channel for a while. He was leaving the CBS position. I took his job, uh, in 2012 and that's where I've been ever since. Side note, how many people can say that their mom was a baller amateur player? That's, that's amazing. It's just, it's just very rare. It's very rare, rare to hear that. It, it it was crazy, and I I didn't appreciate it as a kid, and I definitely I don't I don't even know that I appreciated it as an adult until now, where I'm like, oh, that was that was a 
special thing. Like she was playing against Nancy Lopez and and kind of people from from that generation. And um, you know, I it, it is it's certainly cool. And I didn't get to experience it a ton because she didn't play a lot after I was old enough to play. But it definitely was a seed of like. Um, love for golf that was kind of planted in our family that didn't grow in all the kids or in everybody. But uh, I, I, I'm grateful for that uh, in her life because I think it translated some in mine. Well, one of the things like that led Casey and I to even starting this podcast is um, we both kind of grew up around golf through through our families or playing in high school and just, you know, or, or playing in high school, watching on TV, working at a golf course, all those things. And then that that period of like 18 to let's say 30 took took it off almost right because you you got to do other stuff golf takes a lot of time you don't have the time for that and now it's kind of come full circle where it's like it's become that thing that i love it's the it's the I, i've shed all my i don't watch any other sports anymore i've shed all my other hobbies i you know I, I got my business i got my family i got some fitness and i got golf and um it's become this amazing outlet and that's kind of what led us to this podcast and it's interesting to hear like you kind of have some threads of that too which is like it was in your dna but you 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 weren't ready for it at that point in your life and you end up covering golf how did you go from like hey you don't you weren't covering golf now all of a sudden your job is to cover golf as two guys with a podcast in this space not that we're 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 not necessarily going to going to tackle like the the coverage angle but like how did you, wh what did you take from your other job that got you to figure out like how to, how to unwind this? There's so much happening. Like, what should you focus on? What's interesting? How do you have takes? Like, how did you learn what's, what's relevant to talk about and cover in golf? I'm interested in hearing that process. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I ran my Oklahoma State website for two years before I got, and that was on, that was my side job. I was working at a insurance company as my real job. So I don't know that I took away anything from the insurance job, but from my, my side job, my Oklahoma a paycheck, State website. So a paycheck. Exactly. A paycheck. So Motivation. We're talking, about, we're talking about subsidizing things. I was subsidizing <laughs> some other things. But sure. my, my Oklahoma State site, I ended up running that for, as a, they turned it into a business and I sold it in, in 2020. So I ran that for eight or nine years. But, you know, those, those two years of running it, the the biggest thing that um that I learned from that and I think the thing that probably convinced or helped convince CBS to hire me was just my consistency of like everybody has like everybody has their dream of like oh I want to I want to be a writer I want to be a blogger and it's like yeah you can you can write one good blog post but can you do it every day for 2 years you know and even after those two years, I wasn't, I wasn't good at it. Like I, I, I think I thought I was, but looking back, you're like, oh man, there's some tough, tough takes, tough, tough, uh, just ways that I wrote in there. Um, but I was, but I was building up to something that was that was hopefully better than that, you know. And so, I think just c being consistent and looking for. Uh, and this is something that I really struggle with even now, looking for alternative takes that are logical. Like sports writing and sports commentary is so um, illogical most of the time. Like people just repeat what they heard on ESPN or 
they heard somebody say on the local radio and you're like, well, can we like, can we play that out? Can we, can we, can you take me like three steps past that? Yeah. You, you, it doesn't, it doesn't take much. You, you, you a text thread or, or play golf with your buddies and you hear some like regurgitated, like Stephen A. Smith take, yes. and you're like, where have I heard this before? Yes. <laughs> and, and, and then you start thinking like, well, man, it doesn't seem that hard to just provide sort of a logical take that you can stand on that has some some real some real merit and uh and kind of poke back against that so you you seem very anti-establishment and i guess in some ways it it kind of was i I was always an outsider i never went to journalism school i never learned the you know ap style of writing i never learned any of that and so i think there were times where that hurt me i got a little bit out over my skis in terms of being arrogant about like Oh, I'm I'm the next Bill Simmons or whatever, but I think ultimately it helped me in that I created my own uh, conversational style. I created my own sort of uh, takes that went against sort of the mainstream. Now I struggle with like still doing that because there's so much groupthink on golf Twitter, as you guys have seen. Like I, I struggle to not have the same take as Solly, as Tron, as KVV, as Andy, as Brendan, as all these guys. And I, 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 I feel like I am struggling to be like, okay, I want to still have my own unique stuff, but also still be part of this group. And that's been, that's been a tough balancing act over the last few years, I think. How often are you writing now? Are you still writing every day? Yeah, every day. For, for CBS, I'm writing... Oh, it could be, uh, I mean, a major week, it's it's crazy, but a regular week is probably three to five articles a week. Um, and then I've obviously got my my normal sport newsletter, and I'll write that um, once or twice a week. So yeah, I, I, I try to write um, every single day, even if I don't publish it. I think just the act of writing is, I mean, it, it compounds over time, but also I love it. Like Novak Djokovic, I love hitting the tennis ball. I love... yeah. Writing this words. is what I want to talk about with you. So tell me, take take us into your writing process. Is there a certain time of day that it happens? You, you have four kids, you have a job, you know, like uh, this is your job, but there's, you, you just had a, land, a guy banging on the door about, land, you know, a landscape, like life happens. So what's, what is the, I would love to hear the writing process. <laughs> well, one quick story about that, and then I'll tell you about the process. But I think when people aspire to, this is any job, but I think sometimes when people aspire to like be a writer, be a blogger, whatever, it's like, again, you can, it's easy if you don't have distractions, if you don't have kids, if everything, like you've got your little candles and your music and you're, you're good to go. I've written blog posts at a Best Buy in Stillwater because I didn't have my computer with me and just emailed them to myself. And like, there's just so wait, many. Wait, wait, did you go to like a, like a demo laptop and like type Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Because I had to get the, you just had, over there like, <laughs> yeah, I had to get it out. Okay, my, I got locked my, out of this. You know the administrative password. Yeah, it's my, <laughs> Is there anybody on the Geek Squad that can help me? Oh. Exactly. My my computer was at my buddy's house. He wasn't home, and I had to get I had to get a post up, and that was that was the logical conclusion. So that's amazing. It's it's all about like okay, just doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. But you ever my, you ever read my, any um, Stephen Pressfield stuff? Oh yeah, Art of War and yeah, uh, I love what, what you said. Like reminded me of him. It's almost like you didn't say this. I'm paraphrasing, but it's like if you're a writer, you're gonna write. Whether it's a if all you got is a piece of paper, if you got your phone, if you you know, it's like the the amateur is the one who's gonna be like, well, 
there, you know, I was distracted and I, I needed everybody out of the house and I needed the right mood and I didn't have my coffee. Like there's something there that you said that I think that that speaks to, Hey, this is my craft. This is, I'm going to sure. do this regardless of what I have. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've, and that was where I, I learned to be a pro when it was my side job, when I was doing the Oklahoma state side. And some of that was, was just having the parameters of like, I only had an hour in the morning or I only had 30 minutes at lunch. I have to like do this, you know? And, and so I think that forced me into learning how to be a professional. But in terms of like my preference, I love writing. It, it's hard, like, as you know, with the kids and the working out and all that. My my preference is like 6a or I'd say 5.30am to like 8am, just write for two and a half hours, just write as much as I possibly can, whether it's for the newsletter, for CBS, for the book, which I was doing a lot of in the fall. Um, because I think that once I get to the afternoon, I just struggle to think as clearly. I like to read in the afternoon and just kind of kind of chill a little bit in the afternoon. Obviously, if there's breaking news, I got to write about that. But I find my my clarity in the morning to be so much higher. And I also try to leave myself a trail from the previous day going into the next day so that I have somewhere to pick up. You know, and, I have somewhere and, to, and so if, something if to you're, pick up. If on. you're writing at 530, are you are you like is your are you waking up at 525 and going right downstairs and like opening the, the computer and, and starting to write? Or is there like a, a process? Uh it's usually like uh I would say like 515, get some coffee, come out to my office, turn the lights down low and just just start writing. And I've got Usually I have like a like a document of like, hey, this would be interesting to explore. Maybe maybe I should think about like I've got the I'm sure you guys saw the Pottering Harrington quote about uh, getting his kids into golf. Like I've got a note right now. Hey, I need to write something about this. Um, so I've just got different things like different rabbit trails to go down and just getting and, and with the book, it's a little bit easier because it's kind of laid out like I pull stuff for, that happened throughout the year. And sometimes in the afternoon, I'll pull, let's say, 20 different things for the next morning and just say, hey, write about 300 words on this, 500 words on this, whatever. And it's easy to pick up in the morning and just go right into that. Now, I just described an ideal day. Normally, sure. it's, uh, okay, the kids were yelling at like 620. <laughs> I had to get three miles in. So it usually starts more like... 8 a.m. instead of 5.30. But my ideal day is I, I really love writing as early in the morning as possible. No, Do you get a second wind at night? Uh, no, I just read at night. Uh, yeah. Either hang out with my wife um, and, and talk and uh, we'll read on the couch together or whatever. But I, I don't, I try not to write it. I like, I like the system of, um, and I'm interested in this as like a marketer, you know, business, whatever. But I, I like you need to be able to sleep and let your mind rest. And so I think you have a cool process, which is like, it's like a swipe file, right? Like every great writer, copywriters had this swipe file. You, you kind of have these ideas and you're stashing them away. And so you know that in the morning, because it'd also be very easy to like get up at 5.30 and you're like, I only have an hour and a half right now. I'm on Twitter, I'm reading articles. Like ah, you, my mind is going, but like you kind of have this ready. You have this swipe file aside and you're like, okay, this is my writing time. Let me go pull up like, okay, which things should I write about? okay, I'm going to pick that and I can focus my brain on that as opposed to, it's very hard to be context switching and try to like get 500 good, you know, or whatever, how many words out, right? Well, that's the thing. I almost feel like there should be this reverse work day where as somebody who works from home, I, I, I told my wife this, I don't think I could pull this off just because of the nature of breaking news, but I would love to work from like five to 9 a.m. 
take nine to five p.m. off and just like hang out, do stuff with the our kids are homeschooled, so do stuff with them. Go on a date with my wife, day date, whatever, and then work from like five to eight p.m. and then go to and then you know have the night. I don't. <laughs> I don't think I could do that just because, you know, you have calls, you have emails, you have all, all these different things that are sort of built into the the culture of our American workday. But uh, that would be my preference just because it's I find myself, Dave, running over to Twitter. It, and the reason we do these things, I think, like I'll run over to Twitter or I'll do the Immaculate Grid for baseball or whatever is because they're easier or more fun than the task at hand. And there's we know that there's always something that's stimulating there and if and if you're outside of the workday if it's 5:30 a.m. I know in my head hey nobody's up right now nobody's tweeting nobody nothing's going on I can just focus on this and I find it's for whatever reason it's like 10x easier to focus on the task at hand at that time of day for yeah I've I've in the last year I've gone sorry case I, I, in the last year I've gone well the last two months I've gone much harder on my business and I found that the hour, if I from five thirty to even just an hour before my kids get up, they get up at six thirty. I can get three hours of work done in one hour because nothing else is happening. Right? Go ahead, Case. Yeah, I was going to say too. Back when Dave and I used to work uh, together at a, a PR agency, um, client service, same thing. Like I, I used to go in at five thirty in the morning just because I know there'd be no incoming stuff. I could just clear stuff all morning. It's like it's borrowed time. It's almost like no one's no one's awake. You're you can just. Nothing's being added to the pile, but this conversation leads to something else that I struggle with, and I'm curious uh, with you, Kyle. So much of golf and how you cover is about consumption and and following the sport. How do you follow these tournaments and and stay up to date with everything with four kids? It's golf is like the perfect divorce sport. It's when you're playing it, you're not helpful at home, and when you're watching it, you're suit. You're they can see you're not being helpful. So I'm sure you've worked out an agreement with your wife, but how does that go for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it helps. Honestly, one thing that helps me is it's very other than when the tournaments are in Europe, it's it's pretty much done by the end of the work day, sort of. I mean, the summer's different. It lasts a little bit longer. And I've got built in off days. You know, CBS gives me a couple off days a week. So it's it's, you know, you still have your weekend, even though for me it's usually like Thursday, Friday, or Friday, Saturday, rather than the traditional Saturday, Sunday. And I've tried to bring my kids into it, you know, like we've done, um, like sometimes when I'm watching a tournament, like I'll bring the boys in and watch with them or, um, a lot of times for the majors, we'll do a draft where everybody drafts players and, and so they kind of get into it as well. So I've tried to meld those two worlds at least a little bit. Um, and it is hard because, you know, I get, you guys can probably relate to this. Um, I get really frustrated when they run out to my office in the middle of the day and I'm in the middle of, you know, the, the great American novel. I'm just, I'm just killing it. And then they just, just yelling and start disrupting and everything that can be frustrating. But I've tried to remind myself like, Hey, this time is limited with them at this age. It's a very fun and tender age. My kids are 10, nine, seven, and four. Um, I go play golf with them. I've I've tried to bring them in as much as possible. And then I think the other thing with my wife is just, and I I do a bad job of this, but setting expectations. Hey, here's when I'm like this week. Hey, Hawaii, it's Hawaii week. So I'm going to be working from seven to 11 on these two or three nights or whatever. So as long as I set expectations, like everything runs um, 
runs pretty smooth. Dang it, Kyle, I'm going to get all misty now. I, I think that's an important perspective about like, this is a window of our kids' life. Casey's got young kids too. My kids are six and four. Um, You know, in a, in a decade, I'm going to have a lot of more free time. <laughs> and it's tough to balance like what's worth doing this. I also have this moment where one of them will come in my office and I'll be like, I know it just looks like I'm staring at this screen, but like, <laughs> this is work. I can't articulate it in another way. Like, this is this is dad working with his hands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think, you know, one of the underserved markets in the golf industry or this, really the sports industry is getting like, like there's not, and this is, this is kind of a long, um, like a long goal, like a long range goal that I have, but getting kids into golf with their alongside their parents. Um, there's no golf content for kids. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, or there's not any that's good. Uh, I can't let, let my kids listen to No Way Enough. I love those guys, but I can't. I can't <laughs> no, no, I can't, it wouldn't work. I can't have my seven year old <laughs> listening to Tron. Um, and and so I think about that a lot. Is like, man, that's a that seems like an opportunity to to kind of kind of do something there. You know, it's uh, funny. I, I just had this moment with my daughter. I, so I, I I I saw you tweet. You tweeted the other day. You were like rewatching two thousand five open, open highlights yeah. and. Since I'm a big golf, you know, I'm a, I'm a golf media guy now. I've been rewatching, uh, rewatch, and I just read Shipnuck's book about Phil, and it made me go and rewatch the ending of the 2006 U.S. Open at Wingfoot, and I was like, "This is incredible!" So I'm trying to find, I'm trying to rewatch all these old highlights and stuff. And um, my daughter comes over and she sits on my lap, and I'm watching. She's like, "Hey, that's that guy, Rory, Rory Macaroni," and she's, she, and I'm like, "Hey, did you know he has a daughter?" And she's like, "He does." And I found some clips of like. And Casey's daughter, uh, Casey has a daughter named Poppy, which is amazing. And That's uh, awesome. so I showed him this clip of like where she FaceTime him after a tournament. And like, I love showing them or like John Rahm's kids running out, you know, running out after the masters and stuff. I love like bringing that in. So I think you're onto something. And to go back to why we even started this podcast, the long game, right? I want to build a life where I'm playing. I want to be 80 years old and have my kids by my side, like all of us playing golf together or being in this. this there are few. Uh, there are few other hobbies and activities and sports that you can do with your family for life. And I think it seems like each one of us is very invested in our family and our children. I think that's what's very special about golf to me. Beyond all this, like PGA Tour live nonsense, like at the core of it, that's what is so exciting to me about golf in the future, PGA Tour or not. Yeah, I was telling my wife this morning. Um, like I, I feel, I feel a little bit jaded and toured and out on professional golf right now. Um, for <clears throat> you know, just I think most of it is the live PGA Tour stuff, all the money stuff, just all the just nonsense. But I, I've never felt more excited and enthusiastic about uh, amateur, like just my own experience with golf, whether it's with friends or with kids or trying to get better or, or whatever. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely something there. And I think you've seen that in like this rise of, and some of this is just the YouTube era where a lot of stuff on YouTube hits, but the rise of like YouTube golf, people are kind of into that more so than watching the third round of the <laughs> Honda classic, you know? Yeah. Like, and, and. I don't know. There's a there's a reason for that. I'm so, like, why did I just spend two hours watching Bryson play Rick Shields on know, YouTube? Like, who? Wait, what am I doing? It's kind of compelling. Like, there's something there's something there because I think it. I think what you said is like all of us. It's the, it's the only. It's such a unique sport in that 
you and I don't watch the Bengals and Steelers, and then we're like, "Hey, let's go play some, let's go play football this <laughs> afternoon." We would, we would end up in the hospital. But with golf, you can you can do that, and there's a relatability there and a connection there that no other sport has, which is, I think, a very it's a very unique thing. All right, we could go forever on this topic, but we got it. Even though we're all jaded on the on the state <laughs> of golf, the 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 season is here. Can you help me? Can you help us not be jaded, Kyle Porter? Like, how do I watch golf and not just care about the Masters? What? What is there anything you're looking forward to this year? Let's do a little. We'll wrap up in the last ten minutes, just talking about the, the the season ahead. Well, I think obviously the merger is fascinating because I think there is an opportunity for everything to come back together in a way that is palatable, not only palatable but compelling to the fan. Now, I don't know that I trust either side to make that happen, you know, like to, to, to come together in a way that they're thinking of the fan first. Um, but I, I do think that's, that is possible. I, here's one thing, this is unrelated to the PGA tour, but I, I kind of, a lot of people have been very anti the team golf aspect. I'm kind of in on it. Like, I kind of think there's something there. I don't know that the cliques and the four aces is the answer, but I think, like, I was talking to my son the other day, and he's like, Dad, I would love it if Rory and JT and Spieth were on the same team. We, were, we it was we had, a, like, a live event on that I was watching, and he was like, I think it'd be cool if these guys that I like were on the same team. I was like, huh, okay, yeah, I think I think there could be something there. So if they end up coming back together and there is a team aspect, I think that's actually kind of exciting. I think there's some real... I think we're in the midst, Dave, of... Um, several like real historically great legacies being created. Uh, I think Rory is like a major or two away from have like let's have a real conversation of whether he could be a top ten player of all time. Uh, I've got Phil like right at that top like tenth mark, and Rory's kind of tracking for Phil's career depending on the major thing. Uh, Rom, uh, I mentioned earlier, is tracking historically, and then Brooks Koepka historically is 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 one of the all-time greats. So I, I think there's some stuff there. Obviously, that's major focus. And you were talking about PGA Tour. The the young guys on the PGA Tour, Ludwig, obviously, is incredibly exciting. You've got Gordon Sargent at Vanderbilt coming out. I think he's going to be a superstar on the PGA Tour. So you've got some young stars that are going to... I don't know if they're not going to fill John Rahm's shoes, but they are going to fill a little bit of the void, I think, that's been left by John Rahm on the PGA Tour. All right. Um, I'll buy it. <laughs> well, Kyle, you had a you had a, a great tweet the other day. I, I connected with uh, about basically you were saying how you you were very honestly said you feel a little less. Um, yeah. uh, I forget the word you use, but uh, excited to to yeah. cover the century um, because of Rom that being in it and looking at the field. Mm-hmm. I, this is the same way I feel about you know I, I'm all for people making whatever money they want. Selfishly, I want. The two, I want there to be one tour and I want it to be the PGA tour. It's what I grew up with. We talk about like you're rewatching the 2004 open or 2005. Like, imagine looking back on that and taking, you know, a handful of those guys out. Like, is the legacy still there? Is it just different people? I don't know. But um, just talk a little bit about that, about ROM and covering a sport that or a league that is losing some of its key figures. Yeah. I think 
it's it's weird because the the PGA Tour has never been all the top guys in the world because you've always had the European Tour, right? Grow like when we were when we were kids in the seventies, eighties, nineties, it was um, the European Tour was a real thing. I mean, a lot of the top guys in the world were European Tour players, and so once those guys started coming over to the PGA Tour more, they still and this is where I think there can still be some excitement, Dave. They still weren't all required to play the same events. And now, even though you've lost some, all the top guys are going to be playing the same events. So you, 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 even though you've taken out some of these like upper crust guys, you still have in effect what you had in the 90s and early 2000s, which is most of the top players playing most of the best events. So I think there's... It's just hard because last year it was like all the top guys, I guess, excluding DJ and Bryson and Brooks. But the ROM thing is, it's more of a ROM, it, it's specific to ROM, because I think people underestimate his gravity as a historically great player. And, you know, the best events have always just been where the best players go. Like, if he goes to play in a, in a event in Spain on the European Tour, which he's done, that all of a sudden becomes, a, a like, a legitimate thing, like a legitimate event. And so I just personally, like, if you take Rory or ROM out of a tournament, because those are the two most historically relevant players for me, that tournament loses its gravity. And so the fact that both of them are not at, at Kapalua for different reasons, it's kind of like, yeah, it's still going to be fun. It might be the best uh, you know, event they've ever had there. But just going into it on the front end, for me, I just am not feeling as excited as I was this time last year. It's honest. It's a, it's, it's a great take. I, 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 I'm right there with you. Totally. I meant to ask this earlier. I'm a I'm a nerd, so I'm gonna ask. Uh, you're watching, so you're watching the golf seven to eleven at night. Are you like, are you taking notes? Are you making notes then? Are you using Twitter like as your kind of notes for the next day? Like, are you just kind of have your feet up and and watching? What what's what happens in the lab? Yeah, it's a good question. I've I've gone back and forth on this. I I'm on Twitter as we all are probably too much, um, and I find myself really focused on the golf early, and then I I slowly over time, just my eyeballs gravitate toward Twitter. Uh, part of that is because commercials and you know everything else. Uh, I am making notes usually. I'm, uh, I use Twitter as kind of a repository, and I've talked about this with for the book. I'll tweet stuff that I want to write about later, or just like little notes for myself. And then I'm kind of see it as like, I'm just, I'm really doing this for me. I'm writing for myself, but I'm sharing it to all these people that follow me or whatever, and they can do whatever they want with it, which people do whatever they want with it. But, uh, a lot of times Dave, during, during events, I am, I read, I try to read all the transcripts or most of the transcripts that come in from that day. If I'm not at an event, I do this when I'm at events too, but if I'm not at an event, I'll pull all the transcripts and just read through, hey, what did Spieth say about his round? Did JT say anything interesting about uh, his driver today? Did, you know, whatever. You kind of know some of the storylines going in, but I'll read a lot of those transcripts. I'll be constantly on um, uh, ShotLink, which is uh, just sort of the PGA Tour's deepest dive into the stats and data and I'll be kind of tracking that for okay what was um you know Hovland strokes gain on approach today did he have 
Like where, where was he losing strokes? Did he have, did he, cause you can't watch every shot, right? They don't even show every shot. So you're, you're kind of using all these different tools to piece together. Okay. What, what is the, what is the main focus of this round? Was it Hovland shooting 63? Was it maybe Rory shot an 81? You know, you're, you're kind of piecing everything together as the round goes on. And with that approach, uh, when you're not at a tournament, you're covering from afar going through transcript and stuff. Do you find that you ever run into issues with context or just, you know, what, what do you get there that you're, you're not getting at home, vice versa? Yeah, I think it's mostly, so it's two things. It's one observation. So I remember being at uh, the 2021 US Open at Pebble and I was on the 11th hole, I think it was, and Ches Reeve and Brooks Kepka were uh, showing each other what kind of dip they were using. Like what kind of, what, what they were, what they were chewing. And you don't get that on TV, right? No. Like that's, that's impossible <laughs> to pick up in, unless you're there. And that was such a hilarious, um, just observational thing that was, that was my new, but then the other thing is the atmosphere. And this is probably more specific to majors. Kapalua's atmosphere. There's not really that many people there anyway, but you, you don't get the, like I, there's nothing in golf. I love more than the feeling of, it being tied with like four holes to go at a major and you're standing right next to John Rahm, you're standing right next to Brooks Kepka, and you're like, I'm, I'm in the arena. I'm not like, I'm not in the arena, but I'm like I'm an observer inside of it. And I think that comes out in the writing uh, in a way that you can't replicate from afar. Love that. All right, Kyle, we got to let you go, man. I, this is this was more than kind of you to come and hang out with us. Um, I feel like there's a lot we could talk about. Maybe, maybe we'll you know a couple of years down the road we'll have spun off, and this will be the beginning of our um, you know kids golf media you know, <laughs> empire that we built together. So you never know. You just never know what can happen from these conversations. Um, I love it. That's that's yeah. I'm in. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Uh, go file. Go follow Kyle. He's Kyle Porter CBS on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to his newsletter. I think there's nothing more valuable than uh, building the email list. So I'm proud of you for doing that. Uh, normalsport.com. And uh, he has Normal Sport 3 out right now, which is which a is, book he's been writing. Which is great. Year. Yeah, it's a, it's a recap of the last year in golf just on different things Kyle has written and, and tweeted. And he recommends that you print it out and kill about <laughs> three birch trees like I did. <laughs> Awesome. No, I I appreciate you guys having me on. I'd love to do like a uh, like a quarter year or mid year check in with you guys if you if you want to do that. Done. Uh, hold on. Okay. Let me check with let me check with our man management. Yes, we'll do that. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> C- confirmed. All right, Kyle. Thank you, man. We'll see you later. He's talking the long game. They played the long game. They gotta play the long game. They're experienced and they played the long game.